What's going on, guys? Let me know if you got any audio on the on the sound here. Just give me a thumbs up. Gonna try to get all these bugs worked out. All right, I'm just gonna wait a few more minutes here for some people to jump in. Uh, as I'm doing that, I know I said I was gonna start this live stream at eight o'clock. We're gonna start it a little bit early. I want to give uh, some of you guys some shout outs here. So, Dr. Horn, welcome. Big shout out to you, sir. Young Stalker, we chatted up a little bit here in the chat. Welcome. Let's see who else we got here. RB80, welcome. You're always uh, hitting up my comment section. Paul B, welcome to the to the live stream. Kevin, our private member. Kevin, what's going on, man? Welcome. What's going on? Antilly17, how are you? Are you guys able to hear me? I'm seeing some thumbs up here from Young Stalker, so I'm assuming the sound's okay. And uh, before, uh, it looks like we got a few more minutes before some more people jump in. Guys, perfect. Thank you for that. As you're jumping in, uh, hit that thumbs up button, guys. It's really going to help uh, spread this live stream. I'm not trying to go viral or anything, but I really hit the, uh, it really helps me out a lot. And it's the least, hopefully, it's not too much for you guys to do. And it's going to mean the world to me. And uh, as I go into tonight's live stream, I'm really going to be explaining about what this is about. Yes, I really did quit my job, and yes, I will be going full-time on YouTube, but it's going to be more than that, so there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to cover, and then I'm also going to be doing a Q&A with you guys. Uh, what's going on, Nazila? How are you? Um, Nazila is uh, one of my uh, one of my private coaching clients. Uh, welcome to the chat. But yeah, I'm going to be doing a live Q&A, so you guys can really pick my brain free of charge. Uh, not, no, uh, Basically, whatever you want to know, you let me know. Buck, what's going on? Another private member. Kathleen Smith, I just had a great conversation with her last, uh, was it last week or this week? No, it was this week. What's up, Kathleen? Rose, how are you, Rose? Another uh, coaching uh, client that I talked to before. So it's good to see a lot of familiar faces here in the chat. Kevin Malone, what's going on, Kevin? Kevin's always blowing up my comments. I don't know who you are, but uh, your username's pretty funny. Saving Secret, how are you? What's going on? I'm just baffled. There's like 26 people in here. I really didn't expect this. Um, let me just see what time it is. All right, one minute away. So gonna do some more introductions here in the next minute, and then we're just gonna jump into this. It's so cool, man. I just I you know what? I, I can't believe you guys got me to five thousand. Uh, I'm really grateful for that. It means the world to me. And the fact to see everybody in here tonight, it just really warms my heart. So thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for allowing me to dr live my dreams. and it just it means so much to me. So thank you guys so much. Wizwreck, what's going on? Congrats. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's a huge accomplishment. I'm uh, I'm stoked. I can't tell you how stoked I am, how excited I am. When was the first video? First video was October 2019. So that was a long time ago, about a, a year and six months ago is when I made my first YouTube video. And I thought I'll give this YouTube thing a try, but it's crazy. It was It was a lot of hard work. It's crazy to get to this point. But now, Really, that I've gotten here is just kind of rolling around. Still strong. Eric, what's going on? Hey, everybody, congratulate Eric. He had a very special day yesterday. Uh, Eric, a very uh, promising future for a young man who I've talked to, I think, twice already. He's got a very promising future, but he had a wedding yesterday. And today is his first day as a married man. So make sure you guys congratulate him. And 
he was even kind and gracious enough to make it to the live stream. I told him he was not obligated to come to the live stream, but he wanted to. So uh, thank you so much, sir. And hope, uh, hope you're enjoying the married life. Uh, I know that wedding band is going to feel a little bit tight for a while, but it, it kind of just, you know, it loosens up after a while. So you'll be all right. All right. So uh, I think it's eight o'clock, 801. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump into, uh, I got some uh, housekeeping stuff that I want to talk about. And then we're going to jump into your questions, guys. So uh, if you have the questions, try to hold off towards uh, at least the part of the video where I'm wrapping up this housekeeping stuff, and then we can get into the questions. So uh, before we get started too, I want to shout out, I know we've already seen some private members, but Scott, uh, my first private me member, Clark, Stanley, Bob, Buck, Kevin, Zod, and Alex, thank you guys so much for your continued support and allowing me to continue to grow my YouTube channel. So thank you so much. So the first topic that I want to discuss is actually quitting my job. And Young Stalker asked me this earlier. He said, are you familiar with the FIRE movement? So I'll kind of answer his question right off the bat. But yeah, I mean, I did quit my job. It was my regular, my full-time job. And I did quit it to become a full-time YouTuber with 5,000 subscribers. So on paper, maybe that seems a little bit crazy, but this is sort of something that I've been working towards. And I'm not part of the FIRE movement, nor am I practicing that crazy lifestyle of, you know, saving every penny or pinching every penny. But I would say for the last three years after becoming debt-free, I've been able to save a lot of money, over 50% of my income every year. I've been able to invest it all and watch it grow. And I've gotten to the point where if you guys have read JL Collins stuff, he talks about the kind of the stages of of financial independence. And I'm kind of at the FU or FU money stage. So I got enough money where I can quit my job and hang tight and hang around for 10 years and probably still be all right. I'll be able to pay my bills, but you know, I might need to go back to the workforce, but luckily I have this YouTube stuff. And the whole point was to transition YouTube into a full-time career. I really like educating and, and talking to people more than sort of going to work and doing whatever work was. So YouTube uh, has allowed me to find not only my passion, but it's allowed me to uh, be able to monetize my passion. And that's something I'm forever grateful for. I think a true calling for me is helping change people's lives. And YouTube is that kind of platform that's allowed me to do that. And you guys showing your support to me have changed my life and allowed me to, to quit my job and now become a uh, full-time YouTuber. Now, I do want to, because I'm always about full transparency, um, I'm going to share with you how I make money on YouTube. Uh, there's been some comments of people saying, well, you know, you run a lot of ads on your channel or this and that. So I'm going to just go out there and tell you guys how much I make, what I make and how I make money on YouTube. Uh, I show you my portfolios, not really to boast about them, but to show you uh, I, wherever, whatever I say, that's, that's where my, you know, my, what's that saying? Uh, my, uh, I put my mind, no, no. Oh my God. I can't, my mouth where my money is or something like that. I forgot the saying now. Anyways. I show you my portfolio to show you that when I talk about low cost index funds, here's my portfolio, my actual portfolio. Here's what I invest in. So when I say, yeah, I quit my job to go full time on YouTube, I'm going to show you uh, what I do on YouTube and how much money I make. So first of all, how do I make money on YouTube? Um, I'm able to make money from basically the ads that you see. It doesn't cost you guys anything. So if you're subscribed and if you're just uh, watching, you might see one, two, sometimes three ads, depending on. Uh, the YouTube algorithm and sort of what kind of ads you're supposed to see. So I don't know how all that stuff works, but the way I make money is through you guys watching the videos and watch. You don't have, even have to watch the ads, just seeing the ads. 
So that income, uh, when I first got monetized last August, was pretty low. It was like 50, 60 bucks a month. Uh, luckily, I've been able to grow it now to about $1,000 a month. And $1,000 a month might not seem like a lot, but it kind of is for a channel that's got 5,000 subscribers. And now I'm able to consistently make you know, $1,000 a month or more just off the ad revenue. So that's really the primary way I make uh, my income on YouTube. But then I also do have some affiliate links. I know you guys have probably seen uh, affiliate links down below where you can click on them and sign up for either a Webull account or sign up for an Emerald Finance account. Yes, I do get compensated for those as well. So those are not usually uh, heavy compensation. I, I can't depend on those. I usually make a couple of hundred at the most. Some months I don't make any. And then um, the last way I make money is through my private memberships. So uh, you guys that are already private members know, but there is a charge for those. I try to give you a little bit of an added uh, benefit than just seeing my videos for free. Um, the private memberships, I really try to engage you guys as much as I can, give you the content that you want to see. And then even now with the Discord, I really want to give you more uh, time with me. So if you have those personal one-on-one -on -one questions, we can talk it out. So uh, those are the three ways that I make money. And those three ways combined uh, right now can pay my bills. So as long as they pay my bills, I don't need to work. Uh, so that's the reason that I uh, basically quit my job is because my business, um, my YouTube income, all that is self-sufficient enough where I can sort of just pay my bills and be all right. The next thing is I'm also moving. So this background that you see behind me, I don't know if you guys can see, but they're like moving boxes back there. Um, I'm going to be moving here shortly in, the, in a month or so. So by moving, that means I'm going to be selling this property. I own this property and I'm going to be, I uh, have a decent amount of equity in it. So I'm going to be able to kind of roll that equity in and, and be able to uh, use that as well to kind of sustain myself if this whole YouTube thing falls apart. But worst case scenario, while I'm not fired, uh, if some for some reason this doesn't work out, I'm just going to go back and get a job. So it's not the end of the world, but I am moving. Um, we'll be getting out of real estate. I'm just going to go rent. I'm going to take my money while the market is hot. And not that I'm a market timer in real estate, but uh, real estate's a lot of work and I prefer to travel versus do construction. So we'll be selling this place and moving on. And then as far as uh, the last point that I want to touch on is future content. I'm going to be talking a lot about small cap value stuff. Uh, you guys will hopefully see this next video uh, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow you're going to see a video about small cap uh, growth versus small cap value. And from there, it's just going to be small cap value, small cap value, and more small cap value. I think it's one of those things that I've discovered that uh, I think common knowledge has always been, and the advice I've always gotten is just invest in the S&P 500 uh, because you can't beat it. Uh, and I always believe that. And, and for the longest, I believe that. And then when I finally found, um, I found sort of a different way to beat the S&P 500, still using an index fund, but using a small cap value, I said, wait a minute, this is something I should probably tell people. But I want to be very clear, small cap value is not for everyone. So uh, because it's not for everyone, I'm not going to be saying you should invest in it. I would always recommend you own the majority of your money in an S&P or total market index fund and not in a small cap value. But uh, it is going to be something that if you have a long time horizon, like I showed in my last video, what 90 years can do. Well, obviously, we don't all have 90 years, depending on our age, unless you're like two years old watching me. But 90 years is a long time. So you've got to think that this uh, sort of tilt towards small cap value has to be like that. It has to be 90 years for it to really pay off. So it's really you're going to be doing it for 
your kids and your kids' uh, kids and not really for yourself. Otherwise, if that's too much for you guys, just stick with the uh, plain Jane S&P or total market. That's going to do a good enough job of getting you there. Um, and that is it for the housekeeping stuff. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Let me go back to the chat here. Let's see what you guys are talking about because I'm the man of the people. Whatever you guys talk about, that's what I'm going to talk about. All right. So it sees a lot of congratulations to Eric. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for congratulating him. Let's see here. Jimmy J. Hey, what's going on, Jimmy? Uh, thanks for job, uh, dropping in. Uh, Jimmy emails me quite a bit. Um, I don't know if I should say this. Well, Jimmy told me I could. Jimmy is the guy that uh, I showed his portfolio on, uh, I think, two weeks ago or last week in one of his videos. Um, so he was the one that I showed his portfolio. Ade, what's going on? How are you? All right, guys. If you have questions too, guys, you can start dropping your questions down below as I'm sort of reading the chat. I'm just trying to catch up in the chat, but you can drop uh, some questions here. Cobra, how are you? Cobra Commander, can you do a 10-year long-term investment strategy? Um, are, you, are you saying like what's a good 10-year long-term investment strategy? Um, not sure what you mean by that, but it, anything for me, at least uh, five years or longer should be, or five plus years is long-term. A 10-year investment strategy, man, you, I would just be in, in a one fund, a total stock market, like I always uh, preach, or S&P 500. You don't need nothing more than that. That's what I would honestly recommend. Um, e even if you're, I would say, even if you're, I don't know, if it's a short-term goal to like save for a house, but it's 10 years, you, I wouldn't recommend any kind of bonds or anything like that. I would just go uh, all equities, all in one fund and, and, and let it ride. All right. What are some YouTuber gimmicks slash attention grabbing that you have chosen not to do? Uh, that's a good question, Kevin. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff and you guys are going to get me riled up. Hang on, let me, hang on. Let me, let me sip my apple juice if I get riled up here. <sighs> that's some good apple juice. Um, as far as gimmicks, man, I see a lot of stuff on YouTube. I think um, uh, I kind of, I don't want to be the guy who goes out here and says, you know, don't listen to these people. You can do whatever you want. I mean, we're all grown adults, but there's a lot of people here that are pushing some garbage uh, the biggest thing that I see is sponsored videos. I think sponsored videos, man, that stuff, uh, is dangerous because you guys need to know these YouTubers are making a lot of money from sponsored videos and they probably don't believe in the stuff they're pushing. I know they're disclosing that it's sponsored, but if you have a following, even someone like me, I have a following of 5,000. I've been approached to do some sponsored stuff and I've rejected it every single time. Again, I have morals and I have ethics that um, and core values that I believe in that no amount of money is going to change. So that's probably the biggest stuff that upsets me. Uh, and then just pushing garbage penny stocks and stuff like that, saying it's going to 20x. I mean, nothing's <laughs> nothing bothers me right now more than the 20x stuff. Um, oh, my God. Buck. Fitches. Uh, Buck is our private member. Buck, I don't even know your real name yet. I'm sure this is not your name. Uh, oh my God. $20 super chat. Thank you so much for that. Uh, a toast to your success, brother. Absolutely. Let's toast it again. Hey, Buck, thank you for that. Thank you for the uh, for the membership. Man, you, you, man, you're making me a happy man tonight. <sighs> thank you so much for that. Uh, when, when will you, uh, where will you be moving and renting? Is there a state you think it has good tax benefits that you like? Yeah, 
that's a good question too. The saving secret. So I'm, I live in Illinois right now. It's not the best state to own property because of how high the property taxes are. And unfortunately they keep getting higher, but, uh, I will be renting in the same state. The couple of states of me and my wife have been looking at Tennessee is one of them. Um, one of, first of all, Tennessee is sort of like a little mini financial hub. Nashville and the Franklin area is uh, Dave Ramsey's from there. The Money Guy shows from there. There's a lot of good uh, YouTube personalities that are in finance that are in Nashville. Nashville happens to be one of those cities that that I like. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a, of a country boy, so I think uh, the country theme fits me. I've been to Nashville a, a lot of times. I'm actually going to be in Nashville uh, pretty soon here too. So it's Tennessee is one of those Texas, of course, but everybody's moving to Texas. So I feel like real estate's going to skyrocket in Texas. So I want to stay away from that. Uh, Nevada is another one we've considered. I know I've seen videos like Graham Stephan has moved to Nevada. So it's another one I've considered, but I'm, I'm really guessing, I think Tennessee is going to be, if, if we end up going out of state, Tennessee is going to be uh, where we're going to be going. All right. Let's see what we got here. Have you had any experience with fast graphs? Uh, Baresh, uh, I don't know what that is. I'm not sure what fast graphs are. Uh, so no, I can't, I can't say I've had any experience with those. Uh, let's see what Rose is saying. I was thinking about Fundrise, but I haven't seen any reviews. I can uh, believe they seem paid off. Fundrise, yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with that either. Uh, you might uh, might watch some other channels. I know there's some other channels, some good smaller channels that have Fundrise videos. Um, if you guys want to watch that, but yeah, I'm not familiar with that. All right, Doc Horton, Dr. Horton, let's see. Thoughts on mid-cap value versus mid-cap growth. Really, rarely hear people talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, mid-cap value is one of those, just the mid-caps in general, man, they're just forgotten. They're kind of stuck in the middle. I call them the middle child. You know, you got your old child, you got your youngest kid, and then you just kind of forget about the middle child. That's what mid-caps are. Mid-cap value is actually an impressive sector. Uh, it's not as good as small-cap value, but it beats large-cap blend by almost 2%. So uh, I like mid-cap value. Mid-cap growth, on the other hand, I think it, it outperformed by maybe 10 or 15 basis points over a 50-year period over, over the S&P. So there's not really any additional premium in mid-cap growth. But yeah, I mean, mid-cap value, if you think that um, small-cap value is too risky for you, I would say look into mid-cap value. Or if you want to have all three, I know uh, Jimmy, when he shared his portfolio, he's got like mid-cap value, mid-cap uh, blend, small-cap value, small-cap blend. He's got them all. So that's that's one way you can do it, Doc. Uh, Young Stalker says, I just started Fundrise, have about 20K in it. We'll see how it goes. Man, that's a lot of money into something that I hope you know what you got into. Again, I don't know anything about it, but I just hope it's something that's legit. Man, you guys are just blowing up Fundrise. Uh, Fundrise is too high in expenses. 1%, you're better off doing F. REL instead. Okay. So yeah, yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not going to just browse over this comment. If it's got a 1% expense ratio, you just buy the REIT. Like uh, Baresh says here, buy FREL, buy VNQ. They do the same thing uh, unless Fundri Fundrise is buying like individual properties. But if they're diversified where they own the entire real estate market, you should be in the entire real estate market to begin with. You shouldn't be in something specific, but a 1%, man, you, that's that's a lot to make up. And that's really the reason I'm getting out of real estate is whenever you buy and sell real estate, everybody's making money except 
whoever is buying and selling it. So uh, the owner. So, you know, it's high expense ratios compared to index funds. And I really think, you know, this equity that I have in my property will do better in, in a low cost index fund than it will, even though it's doubled or almost tripled now since I bought it. But it doesn't matter. It's there's too many fees involved. And you guys already know I'm not going to I'm not going to rec recommend anything that's got fees, especially a one percent. That's that's way too high. Uh, let's see what Zilla is saying. If you have extra money left over every month, uh, will you put it towards the mortgage or add it to the brokerage account? Already paying extra to the mortgage. Oh, man, that's a tough one, Zilla. So I think, you know, we've, I'm not going to kind of talk about what me and you have already talked about, but I think if I were in your shoes, um, depending on what your interest rate is on your mortgage, because right now interest rates are so low, it almost makes sense to invest it. But at the same time, uh, paying off your mortgage is probably going to be one of the most liberating feelings that you're ever going to feel. So it, I would probably say if you're not comfortable with, um, uh, you know, putting it all towards the mortgage, maybe split it up, do 50% extra money towards the mortgage and 50%, and, and you know, into like a taxable account. But probably long term, it's better to do uh, focus on getting your taxable account up. Um, but, you know. If you're if you're close to retirement, you might want to have the mortgage paid off. Uh, but you know, if you got a long ways to go and you have like a two and a half, three percent interest rate, while an index fund could be returning you seven or ten percent, it's kind of a math says to put it in the taxable. But uh, there, since I am debt free, there's there is benefits to being debt free um, that you know you might not get by it by just investing the money. So it's a tough one. I would say try both. Uh, you know, split split up if you have an extra thousand bucks put 500 in the stock market, 500 in the mortgage. Worst case scenario, hopefully there isn't a big correction, but worst case scenario, if you decide, no, I made a mistake, I want to pay my house off instead, take the money from the taxable. Hopefully you had it more than a year and you know it's on short uh, long-term capital gains and just use it to pay off the house. So it won't be a big deal. All right, Jimmy. Jimmy, let's see what you got here. Oh man, I lost you, Jimmy. All right. I strongly believe in small cap value for one reason. As more people learn about it, it will attract more funds probably 401k plan, and that will boost their performance over time. Let me drink to that one, Jimmy. All right. So I don't, I, I like what you, that you believe in small cap value, but I think it, drawing more people to it might not be the best thing for small cap value. So in part, the reason the small cap value premium exists is because people didn't know about it. So but now, you know, ever, ever since 1992, the, the cross-section of returns or expected returns, the paper by Eugene Fama and Kenneth French, more people know about it. And in the 70s and the 80s, uh, small cap value had outperformed the market by a lot. Uh, since that paper, it's sort of the stock market and small cap value have kind of been in a, in a back and forth. It hasn't beaten it uh, how it has historically. But since like 1930... If you go back to 1930, I think it's returned almost 12, 12 and a half percent, which is pretty good considered the S&P's return 9.73. But if we go to more recent times, I think the more people that have it, uh, the less of a premium there is. Uh, the, the idea is that uh, hopefully the markets are efficient, but we all know that's not to be true. And people can easily um, sort of expose certain market inefficiencies. Um, and so, yeah, the more people have it, I don't think that's going to be a good thing for small cap value. Uh, but I think it's going to be hard for a lot of people to hold small cap value long term. That's really where the benefits are. Uh, the short term stuff, whether people come in or out of it, it really won't matter. But 
you know, 30, 40 years from now, small cap value will be the better performing asset class. I have no doubt. And hopefully I'll still be around here on YouTube talking about it. Ivan Morales, shout out to you, Ivan. Uh, Ivan, I was going to, I forgot to at the top of the hour to give some shout outs to some uh, uh, co-workers from my old job. But Ivan, big shout out to you, sir. Hopefully everything's going good at work. Uh, I know I got some fans from work that are watching. So Brian, uh, Ivan, you, Shalim, if you're in here, I haven't seen you, but if you're in here, what's up, Shalim, Eric, Jeff, and uh, John, all you guys, I appreciate you. I'm sorry if I missed anybody, Gio, uh, Fabian, uh, if you guys are all watching, big shout out to you. Uh, I already miss, I already miss you guys, and I miss uh, miss the camaraderie at work. But it's kind of nice living the early retired life. What's up, Leroy? All right, so hey, uh, he's from Algonquin, Illinois. We might be neighbors. Uh, I'm not too far from uh, too far from uh, Algonquin, so that's awesome. Have 20% of my 401k in small cap value. Um, yeah, young soccer. That's pretty good. That's what I typically recommend. Um, if you're young enough, if you're anything more than that, I think is too risky, but if you're young enough, 20% is pretty good. What would you recommend to a person retiring in five to seven years? Oh boy. Well, first thing, if you're retiring in five to seven years, you got to make sure, um, you know what your retirement number is or how much you need to have, whether you're going to use a 4% rule or whatever the case may be. Um, I would say make sure, first of all, you you know how much money you're going to be spending and whatever you budget, uh, add like 10, 15,000 more because there's going to be a lot of unexpected expenses. But uh, once you know your number, if it's 1.2, 1.5, 2 million, whatever that number is, uh, make sure you withdraw 4% from that. Using the 4% rule, you're going to be fine, but you have to be in a diversified portfolio. I think you can't be taking on risks, uh, especially like stuff that uh, is, is volatile, especially with, with being so close to retirement, your risks have to be at a very minimum you need to be in something balanced. If it's all scary to you, I recommend talking to a fiduciary financial advisor, uh, preferably someone who's, uh, who charges hourly or like a flat rate. Uh, but you want to make sure they're a fiduciary, make sure they have their, uh, that they, they have your interest at heart, not their interest at heart, and they're not pushing commissions or anything, but it might be a good conversation to have with someone just to get a reality check. I'm not saying you have to use a financial advisor after that, but it wouldn't be a bad idea talking to one. I'm not a financial planner or a retirement uh, specialist. So, uh, but I know, you know, once I approach retirement, I'm going to be using that same similar approach where I'm definitely going to be talking to someone, making sure I'm on path to be able to retire because five to seven years is not that far. So you want to make sure you're, you're, you're on the right path. All right. There's Ivan. I think I already gave the shout out, Ivan. <laughs> there he is. All right. What's Kevin got? So Kevin says, if Bogle were to come down and review your channel, what do you think he would say? Oh man, look at that. That's a good question. You're putting me on the spot. Well, I think he would say that I would say he would say 80% of my channel is good and 20% is bad. And the reason I say that is uh, Bogle's a big believer in just buying a, a total U.S. stock market and having a total U.S. bond. And he's like, he wants two funds. He wants the U.S. stock and the U.S. bond. He doesn't believe in international um, he definitely doesn't believe in in small cap value. He, uh, interestingly enough, and this is, I kind of got this through a third source, but Paul Merriman, I, I know some of you guys have already talked about him, but he's another one who is sort of evidence-based, uh, uh, an evidence-based investor. And he talks about small cap value, but he actually interviewed John Bogle and 
he said that John Bogle admitted to him that yes, small cap value can outperform, but the reason Bogle doesn't recommend it is because more people will jump in and out of it versus buy and hold it. And John Bogle always recommended buy and hold. He didn't want you timing, jumping or any of that. That's why he recommended something so simple. So I think, you know, most of my channels on message with what he recommends, he is uh, the biggest um, idol I've ever had. He's somebody that I I idolized since I got into investing and I really want to spread his words and his message. I think it's so powerful and how selfless he was. You know, he was all about the individual investor getting the best return that the market is giving, you know, minus fees and all that stuff. Um, so I think he would be pretty proud. At least I hope he is. But uh, yeah, I, I would say he wouldn't like the small cap value stuff. Uh, what we got with one stone, uh, where's the Fidelity Zero Fund update video? Can you also include dividends earned from these funds? Yeah. So uh, I know I, I talked to you maybe a couple of weeks ago. It is in the works. Um, I have, I'm backed up on requests, believe it or not. Uh, this is my first full-time week. So I've been trying to crank out content, but I am a little bit backed up. But that video and Nazilla's video about reinvesting dividends, that will be coming. Hopefully, I can't guarantee this week, but by for sure next week, I will have that. Uh, so I didn't forget about you. It's just, uh, I got a lot of stuff going on, but I, I promise I will get that out to you guys shortly. Uh, Kevin Malone says, Bogle will be impressed by his ethics for sure. Well, thank you, uh, Kevin. That that uh, I'm going to drink to that. that. That means a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I think one thing about me is I'm just honest. I don't hide stuff. So you either like it or you don't. And I don't like insulting people, but I also have core beliefs that uh, nobody can change. So I am who I am. Uh, let's see here. Oh my God, guys, I'm trying to catch up with you. Uh, Doc, appreciate your answer there. Thanks. I like having a little slice of it, large, mid cap and small. Yeah, Doc, I mean, that's exactly what I think. Uh, if you don't want to pick one, uh, and that's probably what Bogle would say, if you don't pick one, pick them all. So a uh, good thing, definitely. Nazilla, your mortgage 2.75. I, I would invest more of it. I would say, I said 50-50 to you. I would say go 70-30 in the stock market. 2.75 is cheap. I mean, that's, it's like free money. It's really, it really is. Um, Which is better long-term? VTI, ITOT, or FZROX, RB80. Uh, RB80, my Albanian brother, what's going on, man? So um, they're all the same. I, I There isn't one that's better than the other. Uh, it, it They do the same thing. So it's it's like uh, if you had like three quarters in front of me and you asked me to pick which quarter uh, is better, I would say, well, they're all three of them are quarters. So, you know, they're, they, they're, they're all worth 25 cents. So there really isn't one that's better. It's whichever one you have access to, whichever one is cheapest. Obviously, FZROX is the cheapest, but it's also the newest. So I'm kind of scared to recommend it. Uh, VTI, I think something that Bogle, uh, actually, no, Bogle didn't like ETF. So I guess VTI and ITOT is not Bogle approved either, but VTI is the closest. It's the Vanguard offering. So I would say VTI, uh, something that I own now in this uh, public portfolio, but it's something I've owned in the past before I bought mutual funds when I owned ETF. So I, I like VTI, but FZROX, man, if Fidelity keeps it around, I think it's going to be a powerhouse. It's going to capture a lot of the market. It's going to have a lot of assets under management just because of the zero expense ratio. All right, let's see. Ryan, 
for a dividend portfolio, better to invest in single stocks or dividend ETF over the next 20 years, assuming dividend yield is equal uh, between both? That's a good question, Ryan. So I used to be a dividend investor. I actually used to be a dividend investor where I would pick individual stocks, but I quickly realized a couple of things. One, I'm a terrible stock picker, which most of us are, but not a lot of us like to admit. And two, there is no dividend factor that shows that dividends have better expected returns than stocks that don't pay dividends or or basically trying to isolate stocks just for their dividends. Uh, there's no evidence that shows that that gets you better performance. So for that reason, I would say it might be better to go with a, uh, with a dividend uh, ETF if that's the strategy. I'm not trying to downplay your strategy if that's the strategy you want to use, but something like a, a, a VYM uh, for the offering from Vanguard, I think is a good mix. It's, it's like a large cap value fund. And really, if you want to have a dividend tilt, uh, having a tilt in large cap value, I think I, I forgot what FL uh, COX pays, but I'm sure it pays more than the, the, the S&P 500 because it's more on the value side. So you can just tilt some of your portfolio to a large cap value and essentially you have a dividend. But to make your entire strategy dividend focused, I, I don't agree with that. I think it's better to get exposure from growth and dividends. So I have some kind of mix, um, not just uh, focusing on dividends. Hopefully that helps, Ryan. All right, Lewis uh, says, hello there. So I've been thinking, should I fund my traditional IRA to get the uh, tax benefits then roll over to Roth? I'm investing in index funds after funds hit my Roth. Okay, so seems like you have an income where uh, you've basically been, uh, you're not allowed to open a Roth, if that's correct, uh, because you're talking about uh, in your putting it in your traditional IRA and doing a backdoor Roth or rolling it over to a Roth. So that's a little bit of an advanced strategy. I'm not really going to tell you to do that or or take the tax write-off if you qualify one for the traditional IRA. That's going to be up to you. Um, if you do do that, if you're working with Fidelity or Vanguard, make sure you call them and tell them what you're doing. That gets really complicated when it comes to tax time. If if it's not done correctly and, the, and your accountant doesn't file it correctly, the IRS might come knocking on your door and they might want some questions answered. So, you know, if you're going to be doing that, just make sure, uh, you know, you got somebody helping you out if you've never done it before. But yeah, that's something you can do. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of Roths. If you qualify for a Roth straight up, like if you don't, if your income allows you to max out a Roth, you got to be taking advantage of that. But if it doesn't, and, you know, you can do this more advanced strategy with a backdoor Roth that you're talking about, Louis. Uh, yeah, take advantage of it, but just make sure, you know, you know what you're doing with it. Thoughts on dividend growth investing. Um, I just kind of cover that, too, with, I think, Ryan's topic. Uh, I might alienate some people, but I got to speak the truth here. It's not there's no evidence, again, behind it that says that it's better than any other strategy. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look at large cap value, which again, I know they're not dividend, they're not all dividend growth stocks. I don't know why I keep going back to that. But the idea is if a company pays that, let, let's just break it down in a simple. Uh, so company A uh, is Tesla and company B is a dividend growth company. Uh, so Tesla does not pay any dividends. It takes the money and reinvents it back into Tesla and it grows the company further or maybe it does stock buybacks or whatever, but it grows the stock price. Company B pays dividends um, from their earnings, of course. So company B pays dividends. They don't reinvest that money back into the company to give it to you as the shareholder. So they're not going to grow as fast. So like Amazon doesn't pay dividends, but then Amazon's gone able to uh, gone on and created 
Amazon Web Services. Tesla has gone on and created a whole bunch of other divisions, while maybe slower companies that pay high dividends like oil companies or telecommunication companies or utility companies, they're not growing or innovating at that pace. And also, you know, 20,000 in the stock appreciate. So let's say uh, a company, uh, this is the easiest way I can do it. So company makes 100,000, the other company makes 100,000. This company pays out 100,000 in dividends. It's not like its stock price has uh, gone up to 120,000. They're paying those dividends from the earnings. So the stock price will go down by the dividend payout, which gives you a net sum of 100. Uh, the only difference is you as the investor now has to pay taxes on those dividends. So dividends are like almost forced sales of the stock. And if you're young enough, I think that hurts you more than it helps you. But uh, a dividend growth strategy for someone who's closer to retirement or or maybe in their 40s and 50s and wants to generate passive income. Yeah, I think it's a good strategy. But for young people, I think it's uh, it's it's a big um, it's a big hurdle and it really slows down your growth. And uh, I don't agree with it. Like I said, I was in it myself for six months to test it out. And I saw uh, what I needed to see in the research that I did that basically led me away from it. But again, you're free to do, you know, as, as you please. That's just my opinion. All right, Jaron Garnett, do you think owning a home is necessary in order to achieve financial independence? Absolutely not. Uh, like I said, I'm selling my home now to go rent. So it's it's not necessary. Um, I think it's actually easier to do it without owning a home. I think people and I'm about to I'm about to offend some people. So there might be some dislikes happening after this one. But people, man, you can't tell them that their home is not an investment. They they get they get hurt by that. So but it's true. You know, your primary residence, uh, don't ever look at that as an investment. You have to live somewhere uh, and that doesn't give you any cash back. It doesn't create a cash flow, a positive cash flow. Yeah, it might go up in value, but not as fast as, as, as the stock market does. And there's a lot of expenses associated with it. There's a lot of fees, a lot of taxes. So no, owning a home does not slow down or does not limit your financial independence. You can become financially independent without ever owning a home. There is a study, I, I have to admit this, that most millionaires actually do own homes, paid for homes, which I agree, you know, that does help them get uh, closer to financial independence. But if you're someone who's renting and your rent is cheap enough, uh, I don't think uh, owning a home is going to is gonna slow you down, but it, it doesn't hurt you either. Just don't think of your primary home as an investment. If you want to have investment real estate, that's completely different. That's cash producing real estate, but uh, owning a home has nothing to do. I never compare owning a home to an investment um, ever just because I'm, I'm ready to basically lose money on my home. All right. So he said, uh, Buresh uh, says, my 401k is diversified between FX, AIX, FSNX, and FSMDX, and WATFX. That's a bond. That's pretty good. So you got a large cap blend, small cap blend, and a mid cap blend, and you got a bond. Yeah, I mean, that's as, as diversified as you probably have to be. You're 30, 30, 30, 10. So that's one thing as far as the allocation. Is it a good allocation? Um, understand what you're doing here is you're putting a bigger tilt on small and mid than you are on the overall market. Um, I don't like that for a couple of reasons. I like to be as 60, 50 to 60% tracking the market because Unless you can, and I'm not trying to discourage you, of course, you could, like I always say, it's not financial advice, you can do what you want. But unless you can bear and watch this portfolio underperform the market for years, sometimes a decade, if you can handle that, 
then maybe stay with what you're doing. But when you're so far away from what the market's doing, like you're only 30% in the stock, you know, the S&P 500, but, you know, you're 60% in, 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 in a different um, index, it's going to perform completely different than the stock market. And that's a, that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to handle. Um, I can't handle it, but uh, there's a lot of people that have issues with that. Um, maybe I'll talk about ARK Invest a little bit later too. But yeah, there's a lot of people that have issues with that when when their uh, uh, investment doesn't perform like the stock market, they get really scared. So is it a good allocation? I think only you know that. Uh, but uh, um, if you can handle it, yeah, it's not bad, man. It's not bad. Again, those sectors, mids and smalls, t- typically long-term will outperform the S&P. So you're probably set up to outperform, but in 10 years, you might not, and that might be scary. Uh, thanks, Mookie. Maybe I'll, I'll wait. Maybe I'd be, maybe I'd better be talk to you. Yeah. I mean, if you want, uh, send me an email, uh, Anna, Anna Tilly 17, send me an email. I do uh, one-on-one calls if you want to talk to me in private. Um, so, you know, we're not, uh, discussing your, your private business here on air. Uh, absolutely. Send me an email and, um, I'll, I'll shoot you as much as I can in the email. If you want to schedule a call, uh, we can do that as well. What do you think about buying ETF stocks on a daily basis using the Robinhood setup reoccurring? Buying ETF stocks on a daily basis. I think that's, uh, I mean, it seems excessive, Baresh. Uh, why would you want to, I just don't know why, what benefit it would have buying. I'm using that and investing in as low as $1 a day in stocks and ETFs. Um, it sounds like micro investing to me and, and micro investing gives you micro returns, like putting a dollar in a day versus uh, what I do 25 bucks a week. Um, a dollar a day is what $5 in a week. Um, it's not, I don't think if you did like 10 bucks or 20 bucks a day, maybe, but it seems like a lot of work for no reason. I would do it weekly. If you can't automate it monthly, is this something that's automated maybe? Because if it's automated, I guess maybe, you know, it's different, but it just seems, um, it seems a bit excessive, man. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd Banks is FIMVX mid cap, a good move. Yeah. FIMVX is the mid cap value. Uh, as far as a good move, I mean, you should, you got to be able to answer that. I don't know. Uh, but mid cap, mid cap value if you've seen in my my last video my second to last video that i put out is a good performing asset class long term if you hold it long term i think uh i think yeah it, it should be a good move but you got to believe in it man you can't uh, just kind of uh you know uh, listen to me and do it because th- that's probably means you won't believe in it long term eric says take that kathy with <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna talk about Kathy Wood later. Once I get once I get my apple juice a little bit, once I get this apple juice like right here, I might get into some Kathy Wood talk. Do you think holding a total stock market fund covers it all? David Jones, great question, sir. I think it does. Yeah, I mean, I talk about all this stuff on my channel about diversification and all that, but honestly, holding a total stock market. A fund is probably all you need unless you're like you have like two million or three million or you have millions invested. Then you want to be diversified. But if you have a couple hundred thousand invested, there's nothing wrong with just holding the total stock market. It's a simple investment and simplicity wins over complexity any time of day. Uh, you can argue with me about this all day, but simplicity wins and it works with investing. So, yeah, owning a, a total stock market fund does cover it all. But 
if you have more money on the line, I think it's better to be diversified, you know, into different asset classes, into diversified into international, even diversified into some fixed income like bonds or some REITs, uh, just to kind of have exposure all over the place so that uh, your portfolio is not as volatile as the stock market. But yeah, it does cover it all, in my opinion. You keep teasing us with that mug. Hey, Stanley made it in here. Stanley, I thought you were going to be on a flight. Uh, he says, when can we buy the merch? All right. So I don't know if my supplier is watching, but she's the one that uh, that made me this mug. It's like a one-off, but it's coming. We're like, Now that I'm full-time, I got to work something out with her to where we can get the production rolling on some of these items. So there will be merch stuff, I promise. Uh, just bear with me a little bit longer. I'm still... Uh, kind of trying to get all this in order but yeah we're gonna we're gonna get some merch uh, out and if we can get to 10,000 subscribers here I'm gonna be doing some crazy giveaways with this merch stuff too at 10,000 so uh, make sure you watch out for that and you guys in the private uh, member side you guys will definitely be getting some merch from me once we get there uh let's see what Lloyd Banks here says uh what would you what you suggest as an account for kids 529 plan or a custodial account uh I would say probably a 529 plan if you plan for your kids to go to college, uh, not even college, but even like vocational school will be fine. Uh, a 529 education savings plan. Now, those are through the state. So depending on the state you live in, if your options are terrible in there, I'm talking about like most of these should have some kind of index fund. Uh, Fidelity, I know, has uh, a lot of information on 529 plans if you want to go to their website select your state and see what investment options are available. But if you have a low cost, broad-based index fund option in your 529, it's better to take advantage of that uh, as well as the uh, as the, as the tax, uh, tax benefit. Uh, a custodial account, I would say something like a custodial Roth IRA for a kid that earns income, like a 15 or 16 year old that earns income would be great. But of course, you can't open one of those unless your kid earns income. So uh, th that's one option I could do for a custodial. Otherwise, you would just do a regular uh, taxable custodial, which would probably be the last thing I would look at. All right. Uh, Ryan says, mainly talking for bridge account purposes. Thanks, Monkey. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that makes sense then, Ryan. Yeah, if you want to have a dividend growth strategy in a bridge account, I can see why that makes sense if you're trying to pursue fire or retire early and you need or will want that fixed or that a passive income to live off of. Absolutely. For something like that, that makes sense. As long as you know, you're know you not investing in that in every single account, but you're, for your bridge account, that would make sense. Um, Doc says, for Ryan, I prefer individual stocks uh, versus dividend ETFs because a lot of dividend ETFs are cashing yields. With individual stocks, you pick world-class companies, buy when they're on sale. Yeah, I'm not going to... Doc, you know how I feel about individual companies. I'm not going to comment on that. What is your favorite non-financial YouTube channel? Oh, man, non-financial. I watch a lot of financial YouTube channels. Kevin, Kevin, you put me on the spot, man. I'm trying to think through my subscriptions here. Who do I follow that's non-financial? Actually, I don't, have, I don't think I have a channel that I follow that's non-financial. That's how nerdy I am in this stuff. I'm trying to think now, but... Um, oh, no, there is the guy. I forgot his name. I don't follow him anymore. He's the guy that makes those um, uh, those package uh, thieves videos where he like packages some kind of robot and it spits out glitter and everything for the package thieves. I forgot the name of his channel, but a really interesting guy. I think he's like an engineer and he makes good stuff, but he would be the one. I forgot his name now. 
Um, and then I used to follow a lot of trucker vlogs. Trucker, trucker Josh was one of them. I used to be a truck driver before uh, I, I became a financial guru, if you will. So I used to find a lot, of, follow a lot of trucking vlog channels, motorcycle vlog channels when I was uh, heavy into riding motorcycles. But I don't follow those guys anymore. So, uh, but yeah, those would be some guys. I am uh, George Schneider says I am. I am convinced that you are better off putting a lot of your money in the stock market, preferably in tax advantage accounts, than owning a home. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna agree with you, man. I think it's a myth that people think that home ownership is this thing that appreciates. I think I read the statistic on average when you add all the costs, your primary. Now, again, I'm not talking about investment property. You guys that have investment property or own investment property, absolutely. I'm not talking to you guys, but. Um, your primary home that doesn't produce any cash flows. Speaking of that, where is this guy? So re read this book, guys. Read this book and you'll get to what I'm trying to say. Uh, this is Rich, Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. But it's your primary residence because you have to pay. Um, yeah, you get to tax deduct some stuff. But for the most part, all the expenses fall on you. But you don't get any income unless you rent out your spare bedroom or something like that. Or like in me, I'm using my spare bedroom uh, in my case, I'm using my spare bedroom to record videos for my business. So yeah, I get to have a little bit of an added tax write-off, but otherwise, if you're just living in it, it doesn't produce any income and it costs a lot of money. So yeah, home ownership, uh, it's a myth that, you know, home ownership is, is a good investment. Uh, May Yang says, should an 18 year old invest in a little bit of part time income into a Roth to learn how the market works or just continue saving towards college? Wait, let me read that again. Should an 18-year-old invest a little bit of part-time income into a Roth to learn how the market works or just, oh, okay, okay. So your 18-year-old is has a part-time job and they're making some income. Um, my advice is going to be different than most people, but I hate debt. So if, you're, if your 18-year-old school is taken care of, uh, which it seems it's not because it's, you're saying savings towards uh, college still needs to happen, I would say save for college. I I know the power, and I showed in the last video, of what 90 years can do of being invested in the stock market. And the longer you're invested, the more money you're going to make. But debt will really hurt uh, in the long run more than any of that stuff. So I would say save towards college. Once you have enough save towards college, then anything extra, yeah, absolutely put it in a Roth. And most people might tell you to put it in a Roth and maybe go take out a student loan. But uh, as we've seen, some people have student loans for 20, 30 years. I think that hurts their wealth building more than the, you know, thousand or 500 bucks they put in their Roth at age 18. That, uh, again, while it has a, a huge potential to compound, it's never going to make up how much that debt over 20 years will drag you down. And Mitt made it. She says, I'm late. Uh, and it's all right. You're always commenting on my stuff. It's okay that you're late. Uh, let's see what Eric says. Oh man, I lost it again. You guys, I am so behind here. I'm trying to catch up. Eric says, should have, wait, should one have both a Roth IRA and traditional IRA at the same time, maxing out both accounts? If so, is the max at 6,000 for both accounts or each? That's a good question, Eric. Uh, no, you cannot max out both of them at six. So the IRA uh, max is 6,000 income, uh, depending on your income. But if you want to have a Roth or a traditional, the government doesn't separate those out. Both of them combined can only be up to 6,000. 
if that's the case and you qualify for a Roth, your income qualifies for a Roth, I would do the Roth first before the IRA, traditional IRA. Um, it's good to have traditional IRAs. I still have some. I'll be moving mine. Uh, I had a 401k with the employer that I just left. I'll be moving that into my traditional IRA here shortly. So I use it for that. But uh, no, you you want to be maxing out the Roth. I wouldn't worry about the traditional. But it's good to have in retirement all three. It's good to have a taxable, a traditional, and a Roth. So you can kind of play around with your income and you can say, well, you know, this year I made a lot of money. So I'm not going to pull from my traditional. I'm going to pull from my Roth because that doesn't count as income. So stuff like that is good to have. Uh, let's see. Uh, David Jones says someone five to seven year, years out should check out the retirement manifesto blog. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it, but yeah, I mean, if you're that close, I agree. You got, you got to have some other people, you know, that are kind of guiding you at that point. Uh, here comes Scott, uh, private member, Scott, cheers to you, sir. Uh, checking in congrats on your retirement. Congrats, Scott as well. Uh, thanks man. Uh, thanks for your continued support. I'm going to drink to that one. By the way, guys, we're approaching the 52-minute mark, so I'm, I'm, I'm having some fun. If you guys are having some fun, keep the likes coming. I see there's like 58 people. Honestly, thank you so much for all of you guys. I'm going to keep rambling, uh, so if you guys like it, uh, keep liking the video. The more likes I see, the more I'm going to keep rambling and answering your questions here. Uh, Milton Maldonado says, my 401k is in a 50 mid and – wait, 50 slash mid and 50 and – in a date fund, what do you think? 50 mid, I don't know, what do you mean? Like a mid cap, 50 mid what? Um, as far as a target date fund, I think it's fine as long as it's an index target date fund. Uh, I don't have any issues with it uh, unless you're like 20 or 30 years old and those things are a little bit too conservative for my taste. But for, mo for most people, a target date fund is fine. Uh, stock Young Stocker says, my 401k is 50% large blend, 30% mid blend, 20% small blend. Yeah, so you got a little bit of a 50% stock market and 50% uh, basically in small and mids. Again, pretty aggressive. I like it as long as you can buy and hold it. I think you'll be just fine. Uh, Anne says, my 20-year-old son is so stubborn, I can't get him interested in investing. That's that's a tough one too. Um, I, I always found it so hard to convince family members of this stuff. Uh, they just don't want to listen. And uh, I think I, I know where you're coming from, man. A lot of people in my family, I try to tell them they got to invest, but they're not listening to me. Um, sometimes you just got to let him kind of come on his own and figure it out. Uh, he, he'll, he might come back to you and say, hey, mom, you know, you talked about that investing stuff. I'm ready to listen now. But uh, you can, the best you can do as a, as a mom, I would say, keep harping on him. Keep telling him it's important. Uh, but if they don't uh, take an interest to it, sometimes they're going to just have to maybe take it on later on in life and learn about it. But the sooner the better, but you don't want to force it on him, then he might not like it. Um, Eric says, podcast guest ideas, fellow YouTubers, coworkers, or investor colleagues. I love it, man. Uh, I, I I do want to have some podcast guests come on the podcast. You know, now I'm doing the podcast every Friday from basically the, the portfolio update, but I do want to turn the podcast into like a, a guest uh, series. So I do have a fellow investor. He's actually a family member who is highly, uh, I think his entire investment is in one stock. So I want to bring him on because he'll be uh, interesting uh, opinions from what I teach and tell you guys. So I think it'll be interesting to bring him on. Also, he's he's a fellow YouTuber now. He started a YouTube channel, but uh, he's uh, just started uploading. But you guys, uh, it's Updix uh, TV, A-V-D-I-X TV. I, he's in my featured channels if you want to check him out. 
subscribe to him. Uh, go over there and tell him uh, you you heard about him on my channel. But he will be my first podcast guest uh, just because his investing strategy is so interesting and totally against what I recommend. But it'll, it'll be fun to bring him onto the podcast. All right. So it says I do $60. A- oh, okay. So Baresh, yeah, we're talking about that $1. So I do $60 a day using Robinhood recurring and six stocks and dividends. Okay. $60 a day. That's not micro investing. I take back what I said to you. I thought you said you were doing a dollar a day, uh, 60 bucks a day is some serious money, man. So yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Uh, Love Brown says, congrats. I'm highly motivated. Uh, we got Gabriel in the house. What's up, Gabe? I don't know if this is Gabriel, the Gabriel from the old job, but if it is, what's up, Gabe? Um, let's see what's, um, still trying to catch up to you guys here, man. Um, Oh, another super chat. Uh, Anatili17, keep it up. Thank you so much for the super chat. I'm so sorry. I'm still trying to catch uh, up to all of you guys here, but thank you so much for the super chat. means the world to me, you guys supporting me uh, now in my full-time journey here to educate the masses. So uh, thank you so much for that super chat. Let's see what else we got going here. What's your favorite Fidelity mutual fund? Are the zeros worth it? Toby, uh, that's a good question. My favorite Fidelity mutual funds are the ones that I always talk about, low-cost, broad-based, diversified index funds. So FSKX, FXAIX, uh, FISVX, FTIHX, um, some of the other ones here I'm trying to think of off the top of my head. Those are probably four or five that, you know, you can't go wrong investing in. As far as asset allocation, it's a whole nother story. Uh, Now, are the zero funds worth it? I'm trying to put my mouth where my money, where my mouth, trying to put my mouth where my money is. So I think they're going to be worth it, but I I don't know how much I can trust them to be around long-term. That's my biggest fear with them. In my traditional IRA, I have converted it to the zero funds. Because I do believe that the expected returns are going to be this much better than FXAIX or FSKX because of the one and a half uh, basis points that they charge. But I mean, it's 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 hard to say, man. It's it's really it's like I don't know. I don't know if it, if they're worth it uh, because I don't know if they're going to be around again. I think it'll be interesting. I know I've had requests to do videos. What happens when a mutual fund shuts down? So I might be putting out a video if that, you know, if that's a concern you have too, maybe that might help you understand the process of how mutual funds shut down, what happens to your money. Like when a mutual fund shuts down, you don't just lose all your money, but it is kind of a a pain. It's annoying. So, you know, it's just something that uh, that's my biggest fear with them. And that's why uh, I don't have all my money in them. But I, I, again, either or it, it doesn't, it's not in the short term, it really won't matter. All right, I'm trying to catch up here. Oh, I got another super chat here. Carnivore Nurse, uh, always uh, coming on, making comments. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for always commenting and uh, always being on uh, a big supporter of the channel. It means a lot to me. Uh, by the way, guys, I read all of your comments. Uh, if, you, if you have opinions that are stronger or disagree with me, that's perfectly fine. Leave me a comment, but I love engaging with you guys in the comment section. I think it's so important. Uh, as an educator, as sort of a, a YouTube influencer now, uh, to engage with you guys, the audience, because you tell me what you want to see. 
Uh, part of my job, yes, is to educate, but I also like to entertain, do it in an entertaining fashion and in an engaging fashion. So whether it's, you know, drinking my apple juice or just kind of making fun of Kathy Wood, whatever it may be, uh, I have fun doing it. So thank you guys for always commenting and and I always look forward to, to reading your comments. Uh, let me get back into here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to skip a few comments here. Uh, Holly C says, is it better to max out your 401k? Or do the after-tax mega backdoor Roth IRA? Oh man, Holly, Holly, you're doing some advanced stuff here. The after-tax mega backdoor. Oh man, I, I'm so hesitant to go down this route because it, it's like pushing towards like legit financial advice. That's a very uh, advanced technique, uh, Holly. I would recommend. Um, talk to maybe a financial advisor on that just because I'm not licensed to, I, I mean, I can tell you which one's better, but uh, because I'm not licensed, I really don't like the idea, even though I'm not being paid to give you financial advice. So technically I, I'm not breaking any laws. I just don't like the idea of listening to somebody like me talk about it because it's not my area of expertise. Um, but I'll tell you what I do because it's quite interesting Um we have a meet between me and my wife. I don't have a 401k anymore, unfortunately, because I'm self-employed, but I'll be getting a, a solo 401k here for myself, for my business. But my wife has the after-tax option, uh, which, which, which is sort of uh, uh, beneficial if you're already maxed out your 401k. But I feel like if you haven't maxed out your 401k, focus on that um, and, and then worry about the mega backdoor Um uh, after that, but that's just again not financial advice, and and maybe work with somebody who's a professional who does those uh, because it's pretty complicated stuff, and it's so easy to mess up. So uh, absolutely, uh, Science Pete says, "What are your thoughts on other finance YouTubers like Graham Stephan, Meet Kevin? Are they misleading people?" Um, man, I don't. I, should I get the "Don't Sue Me, Bro" thing out? Because. I really don't want to talk bad about people. Uh, it's not how I was raised. Uh, I'll talk about people in general. I'll say, you know, some YouTube finance uh, people do this or do that, but I don't like talking uh, bad about, you know, people. It's not my, um, it's not my place uh, in this world to judge people, but um, you know, it's, I'll say, well, how can I put this in a nice way? You know what? I can't put it in a nice way. I'm just not going to say anything. So, yeah, I mean, Science Pete, I think hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Jimmy J, thank you, Eric. Looks like you guys are chatting it up between one another, too. So I encourage that uh, uh, get to know each other. All you guys are part of the Monkey Finance community, whether you're private or or in the public space. Uh, chat it up. Uh, Baresh says, thank you, Monkey. You are great. Thank you, sir. Oh, I'm trying to get to these comments here. What do you mean? If they're going to be around. Uh, so because that's a good question, uh, South Richmond TOFL, because they're so new, right? Funds, mutual funds on average, about every year, 10% of mutual funds close, merge. Uh, they do all kinds of stuff for a couple of reasons. Sometimes mutual funds are just, especially the active side, they underperform. They start losing assets under management um, and, and they shut down because the funds are not profitable. I'm afraid that Fidelity put these funds out as a marketing. And again, I don't I don't work for Fidelity and I'm not sponsored by them. So yeah, I can talk good or bad about them. But I'm afraid they put out these funds as a marketing ploy to get people from like Vanguard and from Charles Schwab who are paying 
two, three, four basis points to come to Fidelity because these funds are not making Fidelity a dime. Um, so eventually, if these funds get big enough, uh, I guess the idea between, I guess the idea, first of all, was Fidelity was going to bring these people in and then maybe sell them uh, active management or some kind of other Fidelity services that, you know, would make up. And this would be sort of like a loss leader where it brings in the uh, the, the um, customers, but, you know, the, the customers use other services where they make money off them. So that's why I'm afraid, you know, eventually if these get big enough and these are getting very popular, they've only been around a couple of years, but assets under management continue to grow. How long can Fidelity keep it at zero? Like what, where is the, uh, it just, I don't know, where is the benefit for Fidelity to keep it at zero? So that's why I'm afraid, you know, have they gone too low, but if they truly can and and have it be like a, a loss leader and their other products are still making the money, keep in mind, Fidelity is a private company. So, Unlike Vanguard, they're not set up uh, as, a, as a mutual fund of companies that's owned by shareholders. The Fidelity, Fidelity is owned by the Johnson family, and they're in the business of making money. So that, that's my biggest reason of if they're going to be um, if they're going to be around. Uh, Carnivore Nurse says your content has put me on the right track. Thank you, thank you very much. I'm glad uh, you're enjoying it. <clears throat> All right, let's see here. Book recommendations, your podcast recommendations, financial movie reviews, Wolf of Wall Street versus The Big Short. Oh, man, these are, man, I got to write some of these down. These are some, Eric, these are some great stuff. You know what, Eric, send me this stuff in the Discord. That way I can screenshot it. These are uh, definitely uh, good recommendations for the podcast. Uh, if you follow Moki, you can sleep well at night. <laughs> That, that's the whole point, right? Uh, the whole point is not to look at your investments and and not to be in this sort of short-term mindset, guys. Uh, compounding works, but uh, short-term it doesn't. And the stock market does crazy stuff that I, I can't even predict. Nobody can predict. So yeah, you want to sleep well at night. You don't want to worry about this stuff so much that it, uh, it, it makes you sick to your stomach. It makes you uh, invest on emotion. It makes you do the wrong thing. More Kathy Wood talk coming later. Speaking of doing the wrong thing, I promise. Uh, we got another super chat uh, from Love Brown. Thank you very much for that super chat. I really appreciate it. Um, let's see here. I really like the idea of covering what happens when a mutual fund is closed. Great video idea that not a lot of other financial YouTubers have done before. Yeah, I agree with you, David. I think it's an important one. Um, I don't know why I haven't made that yet. I know I've gotten a lot of requests for that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a real thing, especially in active management. Funds close all the time. So I will be uh, putting out a, a video on that shortly. Uh, Rose says, your channel has guided me on making good decisions for myself with investing. Uh, Rose, thank you for the kind words. Rose, first of all, I'm very proud of you. Uh, and what you're doing to to um, uh, change your financial future and and your boy's financial future. But uh, keep keep up the good work. You're doing a great job. And like I said, whenever you have questions, Rose, just uh, send me an email. I'll be more than happy uh, to, to clear up anything for you. Uh, Milton says, do index funds lose value? And if they do, do you think growth index funds are good buy now when they are not doing well? No, I don't think uh, growth index funds are a good idea. Uh, do index funds lose value? Um, I mean, yeah, they they trade every day. So yeah, they go up and down. They can lose value. Uh, I don't think growth funds are a good idea because growth funds, even in this little correction, are still overvalued. And generally, the longer you own a growth fund, probably the worse your performance is going to be. But they do have peaks uh, like every other fund, value, mit, blend, growth. They all have their peaks. But 
long-term growth funds, you're just basically overpaying for something that does not have that true valuation in the market long-term. Dennis Kimani, greetings and solutions. Oh, salutations. Uh, I am trying to get my company HR to get lower lower index cost funds from MFS funds. Uh, for example, MDIZX or FTIHX, what are some key strategies to pitch HR? We get a 4% match. That's pretty good. Um, I'm actually, I was doing this for my dad's uh, 401k. I was talking to his HR person because they had, um, who did they have? They had Merrill Lynch and they had those like Transamerica funds and uh, Janus funds. They're all like one, one and a half, two percent expense ratios. The way I like to pitch it is, at least how I pitched it is this is something that's going to benefit the employees and it will actually be used for uh, one of the pitches that the company can then later say uh, in their benefits packet, you know, they have 401k investments in low cost broad based index funds. One of the reasons when I seek employment, I actually seek employment based off their 401ks. I don't care about how much the pay is. I really don't care about all that other stuff. I like to see what their 401k package looks like. Uh, So I would pitch it to HR like, hey, there's a lot of well-versed investing people that know investing. And if they know that you have low cost index funds in your 401k, you might be able to attract better talent that way. So uh, that's one way you can pitch it, but uh, keep fighting the good fight, Dennis. It's it's difficult, man. A lot of the times, you know, sometimes there's these backdoor deals made and, you know, these reps are selling this to the HR person where the HR person doesn't know any better. Maybe they're not educated in, in finance and, and in investing and they just think, yeah, the sales pitch worked. It sound good. Uh, you know, these are funds that outperform. My employees would want funds that outperform. But, you know, in general, uh, most of this stuff is garbage that these people pitch them. So and the people that are pitching are making the commission. So, yeah, that's one way I would try it. Uh I'm ready for the bubble to pop and buy more shares on a discount. Cheers to the bubble popping. I don't know when it's going to pop, but yeah, I I think there's going to be a bubble pop. Um, Ryan says retirement accounts, index funds, taxable accounts, ETFs. Is this a good strategy tax wise? Mainly worries about the taxable accounts. So in your taxable, you got. Um, ETFs. And when you say retirement accounts, index funds, are you talking about like mutual index funds, I'm assuming? And if this is good strategy tax wise, it is. Yeah. ETFs are the most tax efficient um, uh, index fund to own. So if you have an option between an ETF and a mutual fund and a taxable, so long so, and here's the big, here's the big so you need to um, uh, know is ETFs. Well, first of all, ETFs were created in 1994 Uh, They were actually pitched to Jack Bogle, but Jack Bogle said, get this out of my office. But they were created as a trading instrument for institutional investors to hedge against stock market risk. And they can uh, basically trade the stock market in real time because previous to that, you had index funds, but there were mutual funds and you can only trade them at the end of the day. So still to this day, the SPY, for example, is the biggest traded stock or ETF out there. And it's all 80... 70, 80% of it's all institutions that are doing the trading. So I worry that by picking ETFs, you're going to go down the route of trying to time them and do all this crazy stuff, or maybe even on ETFs that have lower volumes, maybe the bid ask sp- uh, spread is a lot bigger than what the net asset value is. So they're, they're inefficient in those ways, but because they don't pay capital distributions, they're better for taxable accounts. 
But you can also seek out funds like if you have Vanguard, VTSAX, I think hasn't paid a capital distribution in 10 years. So, and that's a mutual fund. So, and even the fund I own, FXAIX in my taxable, hasn't paid a capital distribution since, I'm, since I've owned it for two years. So you can seek out funds that don't pay taxable distributions. One easy way to find those is by looking at distributions and, and what they've paid and how long ago they paid. But also the lower the turnover, the less likely it's going to pay capital distribution. So, uh, but yeah, if you want to hold ETFs, man, go for it. Just do not, do not, do not trade them. You're going to lose to these institutional people trying to do that. Uh, any opportunities for funds sectors by now? Kish, Kish or Gola? Um, no, I mean, I don't, I don't do that stuff. I don't say buy this now. Um, you got to have a strategy and you got to buy all the time. There's no buy now, not buy tomorrow. You got to buy month after month, uh, buy low cost, broad-based index funds, um, small cap value. If you got enough time, if not stick with just total us stock market or total and a little bit of total international. If you want some extra flavor, extra spice, uh, backdoor Roth IRAs for high income people. Yes, it is. Yeah. So it's what I talk about. If if your incomes, and again, I'm not a tax consultant or a tax advisor, I would recommend you talk to your own tax professional. But yeah, they're for people whose income is above a certain limit. So then the government says, no, 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 you're not going to qualify for this uh, wonderful instrument that's tax free. But you know, you can still outsmart them a little bit and, and do a backdoor, but talk to a professional about that. Uh, Isaiah Mercury. Hey, I make 41K a year with my nine to five. If I do Uber Eats, I can make 87K a year. Should I quit? Oh, man. I don't think you should quit, man. I don't think Uber Eats is as good as 87K a year. I don't know where you got that from. Um, I used to be an Uber driver, not an Uber Eats. Uh, I used to be an Uber driver. Um, when you add the, when you run it like a business, because that's what it is, you're a self-contractor. I'm sure Uber Eats is the same thing. When you really add the cost involved and the wear and tear in your vehicle and the time, especially the time, uh, not having the benefits that you might have with your nine to five, it's probably not what as good as you think it is. So I don't think you should quit your nine to five. Uh, Uber Eats sounds more like a side hustle more than anything, but um, it's up to you, man. I mean, I quit my nine to five, so who am I to tell you? But um and if you really truly can make 87k like profit 87k that's different than you know 87k in revenue but 50 some of it being in 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 your expenses then you're not really making 87k so yeah Isaiah just kind of ask yourself run the numbers and see you know what you come up with DEK outdoors uh big big uh commenter on the channel what's going on man he says I trim mine and my wife's Roth IRAs to four holdings uh 24 25% FZ rocks. That's pretty cool. 13, 15% QQQ, 20% SCHD, 10% SPLG, 30% cash. I think you're, you're timing the bubble too, aren't you? 30% cash. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good diversification. Um, the QQQ, I know I talked to you, man, maybe almost maybe months ago now, but I know you made a lot of money in the QQQ, uh, from the time you started investing in it in the early two, uh, when did you start in like 2010 or something, but I, I I'm bearish on QQQ. I love the 20% in SCHD, uh, large cap value, get some dividends plays out of it. I like the 30% in cash too. It's, uh, I'm a big believer in cash because I don't use debt. I always hold cash. Um, cash is King. I don't care what people tell you. Cash is King. Uh, and when you have markets uh, like this, they're so volatile. Just think back to March 2020. If you had 
30% in cash and you had this big 30% discount, that'd be a good time to buy. Everything would be up from that point, even if you pick the worst investment. So I love it, man. Keep it up. Uh, Pravdo Jr. says, I will support your channel 100%. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we are Mucky family. Heck yeah, we are. Thank you. All right. Trying to make it down the chat here, guys. Keep uh, hitting that thumbs up button. You got, man, 64 likes. I know we can get to 100 likes. I know there's only 64 people, but, man, bring your friends in on this. I'm having a good time. I might get a refill. I'm, I'm going past the one-hour mark, but um, uh, keep giving me the likes. I'll keep reading these comments, guys. Uh, having, a, having a heck of a time for my first live stream. This is some good stuff. Um, let's see here. Carnivore Nurse says, maybe one day you can do a video on different custodial accounts for our children, 529 versus ESA versus Altma versus custodial Roth IRA. That's a good question. Uh, yeah, uh, or a suggestion. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to consider doing that. I think it's Fidelity has some great options. So yeah, I'm going to definitely do a video like that. Uh, if you can breathe, I suggest you to keep working. Um, yes and no. I mean, some people, some people like me, they might... Uh, if I don't know if you're talking about working like a nine to five or what you mean by that comment, but yeah, some people maybe don't, they have other things they want to pursue and their work isn't where their passion lies. So, but yeah, if you can breathe, you should do something for the rest of your life. I'm not suggesting you sit on the beach and, and drink mojitos all day, but you should do something with your life, but uh, not necessarily doing a job you don't like. Um, let's see here. The zero funds attracted me to jump into FBOTX. So yeah, their their marketing ploy worked. That's what I was talking about, man. So uh, it, it's they're trying to get. And again, I can't. They're a business, so I can't talk bad about them. I mean, it's their business; they could do whatever they want. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the whole reasoning behind them, and why I worry that if they don't continue to make them money, they they might not be around. Um, Mookie, how often are you planning, <clears throat> excuse me, to do live chats? I hope it will be before your 10,000 subscribers. You know what? So I didn't have any plans in mind. I wanted to do this special one for 5,000. I was expecting maybe 10 people to show up. I mean, I'm seeing 62 people in the chat right now. My God, you guys have blown my expectations out of the water. So uh, I'm not going to make any promises yet because, you know, I told you I'm in the transition of moving. Uh, but I'm going to try to do more of these live streams. We're not going to wait. I know we're not going to wait till I get to 100 uh, or to 10,000. I'm going to do one well before that. But uh, I would like to do them like on these Sunday nights or, you know, if you guys got nothing better to do, come chat it up with me. I think they'll be fun. Uh, so uh, there will be more in the future. I can promise you that. All right. Let's keep it moving here. May Young says, can people use zero funds as a way to get into investing and then switch out to a more established fund uh, once they have more money? Yeah, they can. I mean, the thing with mutual funds, like in your example, you said, can they buy FZ rocks and then switch to FSKX? Well, first, if you're doing it in a taxable account, it's not tax efficient. Uh, but because mutual funds, you could buy fractional shares very easily. I know FZ rocks trades at like 13 or 14 bucks and FX CAX uh, trades at like 100 something. But it doesn't matter uh, because they they both are the same fund and you can buy them uh, both basically with uh, fractional shares. So it doesn't matter uh, which one you pick. So it's kind of I guess you could make that argument, but I don't really see uh, one way or the other. Uh, Kathy Woods is helping inflate the massive bubble. Man, you you got me. 
I haven't finished it yet, so I can't talk about Kathy Woods. But yeah, it's it's you guys are warming me up for Kathy Wood talk. Uh, David Jones says, keep in mind Vanguard has the has the patent that allows them to not pay capital distributions, but it will expire in the near future. I did not know that, David. So maybe that's why VTSAX doesn't pay capital distributions. I didn't know that uh, they had that patent. So that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That's something I'm going to look into, actually. I, I have a Vanguard account, so I should have known that. Um, Dr. Horton says consistency is key. Absolutely. Uh, Scott says, first of all, take a drink of your apple juice before you answer. What are your thoughts about Bitcoin? Can you do a video on your thoughts? Oh, I need I need apple juice for this one. I'm going to do two sips of apple juice. That's some strong apple juice, Scott. Uh, man, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. I'm going to try to be nice again uh, because I uh, think I've been mean enough to some of these investments. But I don't understand it, Scott, so I don't invest in it. And that's really one of those core philosophies that I talk about. If I don't understand something, I'm not going to put my hard-earned money into it. It's just plain and simple. Bitcoin has done some amazing numbers that probably the S&P can never do. Um and that's great if you were an investor in it. But to jump in on the hype train is the same thing that I tell people not to jump in on uh, Kathy Woods and some of these ARK funds after they've made their money. Because what generally happens is what, what goes up tends to come back down. Reversion to the mean kicks in and people lose money. And this happened in Bitcoin in, I think, 2017. And it's probably going to happen to Bitcoin again. Um but then you're listening to an opinion from a guy who doesn't have any skin in the game. So my opinion is worthless, but I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I don't invest in it. I don't understand it. It's too complex for me. And uh, I need to put my money in stuff that I understand. And that's why I put my money where I do with index funds. Do you see Fidelity offering crypto exposure? I do. I think, I think these big platforms need to get on it again. Maybe they're waiting to see if people are going to get really serious about it, but they're probably going to get on on the crypto train. Uh, some sort of crypto, again, not Bitcoin or whatever. I don't know what the king of crypto is going to be in the future or even if crypto is going to be around. But I think some sort of crypto trading platform where you can buy things like Bitcoin, Ethereum and all these uh, other coins. I think Fidelity would probably want to cash in on that. And I think there's a bigger bid ask spread on cryptocurrency. I don't even know how it's regulated. So Again, I'm not the best guy to ask about that, but I do think, yeah, Fidelity will want to get in on that. Uh, what's the biggest overvalued sector right now? Mid-cap growth, large-cap growth, uh, Milton. Uh, basically, the the field that Kathy Wood is in, mid-cap growth, large-cap growth, that's the biggest overvalued sector right now. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Uh, Ryan says, yes, the funds I have in my Roth are Fidelity Index funds. No worries. They're about – no worries – uh, no worries here about trying to time ETFs. I have my taxable set up on auto deposits. That's it, Ryan. That's the way to do it. Yeah, man. Keep keep doing the ETF stuff. Then you're you're doing a good job there. And I don't think uh, uh, ignore what I said about ETFs. You're doing the the most tax efficient way possible there. All right. Let's see. Interesting point on the index funds not paying capital distributions. I didn't know that. Monkey speaks, we listen. Yeah, and think. Uh, listen to what David Jones said there about Vanguard having some kind of patent. Uh, again, I can't verify that, but uh, I would definitely look into that. I'm going to look into that myself since I'm a, I'm a Vanguard. Uh, I have a Vanguard account. Um, uh, 
that's a good question here. Doctors at Doc Horton's asking uh, Isaiah, who was uh, trying to do the Uber Eats, he's asking him, is that nine to five paying healthcare? That's, man, that's probably the biggest thing. That's why I'm lucky enough that, you know, me and my wife uh, can choose which one of us works. We still need one of us working for the healthcare. So absolutely. Um, Holly says, what's a good buying schedule for index fund? ETF in a brokerage account every week, every two weeks, every month. Uh, Holly, I think it depends. I like to um, time my buys with my paycheck. So if you get paid every week or every two weeks, it, it like it's like skimming it off the top of the check so you don't feel it. Uh, that's one thing that's I've always used and it's always worked for me. Um, if you have like really weird frequencies of pays, then maybe do it once a month. Um, but yeah, if you're getting paid once a week, Take it off the check on Friday. That way you don't feel it. And uh, then you spend what you got left over after you invested. DK says, I started QQQ in 2001, 2002. Cost basis, $30 per share. You guys want to hear long-term investing? Listen to this. He had a cost basis of $30 per share in QQQ. Uh, if QQQ reaches $300, uh, $25. I'm selling it all off. I have 55 shares to get rid of. So that's the power of long-term investing. So even though I'm bearish on QQQ and uh, I don't think it's a good performer, uh, it has outbeaten the S&P 500, no doubt about it, in the last 10 years. But uh, from 2001, 2002, when DEK Outdoors was buying it, it was lagging the S&P 500. So he was a true buying holder uh, that held on to this thing for 20 years now. Uh, good on you. And you can see here, he paid 30 bucks for it and now it's worth 325. Uh, that's some powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Doc Horton and the gig workers did okay. Qualified for Obamacare. Yeah, no, he's wait. Gig workers are qualified for Obamacare. Yeah, but that stuff is the marketplace. I don't know. When I tried, it's pretty expensive here because it was like through the state. But uh, Jimmy, I'm not familiar if it's state by state. Uh, again, I just make sure one of us works for health insurance. Should we cash? Uh, should we hold cash in 401k and then buy the dip or DCA? Uh, for 401k, I don't like holding cash in a 401k uh, because it's supposed to be like a long-term investment. Uh, if it was like a taxable account and you want to hold cash in there, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm all for dollar cost averaging into the into 401ks or any kind of retirement accounts. Refill the apple juice. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting kind of low on the apple juice. So we're, we're going to be needing a refill here shortly. Um, Jimmy J says, I always have health insurance. Yeah, I mean, you got to have health insurance, man. That's, that's the biggest reason. Uh, uh, that's all these investment stuff. If you're not covered and, you know, get some unfortunate uh, medical circumstances, you're going to have some expensive medical bills that can really eat up your uh, hard work on the investment side. So health insurance is so important. Uh, Storm B28 says, are total market funds okay to hold in taxable accounts? Uh, my Roth IRA is max and I contribute 19.5 to 401k. I still have access to invest. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where I would put them. They're the most tax efficient. Uh, as I was talking to, Ryan, I think it was Ryan, I forgot his name now, but earlier I was telling him he was holding, I think, ETFs in his taxable. Storm B, uh, you could do the same thing. You can do uh, FXAIX like I do. It's less tax efficient, but still pretty good. FSKX, stuff like that. But keep it simple for taxable. Definitely don't want any dividend stuff. You don't want bonds. You don't want REITs. You don't want active management and tax uh, taxable accounts. All that eats up 
uh, your returns because you're going to be taxed on capital gains or you're not going to be taxed at a favorable rate, especially with bonds and REITs. Income uh, dividend funds and stocks, you might be if they're qualified, but if they're ordinary or not and active management, those capital distributions will just eat up your uh, your return. So yeah, stick with index funds and you're taxable. All right. I'm drinking the low sugar apple juice with a little bit of apple cider. Uh, cheers to you, man. Cheers to the uh, the low uh, the low sugar apple juice. All right, Jesse K. Hey, what's going on, Jesse? Uh, you're a big uh, commenter on the channel. I definitely recognize you. Um, I'm near Franklin, Tennessee. Can you do a meetup there with all your Tennessee followers? Man. Um, I'm in Tennessee for a specific reason. Um, Jesse, email me. Um, first of all, guys, uh, let me know in this chat how many of you guys are near the national area. Uh, but email me and we can talk about it. if we can get a decent amount of guys together. I can maybe free up an hour to do like a lunch or, or get a drink at a bar or something like that. Drink some apple juice with me. I think it'll be fun if we can get enough of you guys. I still... I got uh, some, you know, plans that I'm going to be doing that it's some business that I need to tend to down there first. But afterwards, uh, if I'm free, absolutely like one or two hours, we can meet up if there's enough of us and we could do a little bit of a meetup. I think that'd be pretty fun. Uh, Eric says two sips. Oh, yeah. Two sips, man. Uh, Isaiah. That's awesome. FX, FXAIX is a mutual fund with a heart. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bitcoin is trying to destroy the U.S. dollar. Uh, again, this Bitcoin stuff. I I don't have an opinion on that. Uh, uh, look, guys, and I know Bitcoin is 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 sort of a hedge against the U.S. dollar and fiat currency, but it's going to take a lot for Bitcoin to destroy the U.S. dollar. It's not that simple, um, and there's no guarantee that it will. So yeah, I'm not going to say anything past that, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, Google search, how Vanguard patent a system to avoid taxes and mutual funds. There's an article that was titled on Investopedia patent expires in 2023. Thank you, David. I will get to that. Yeah. I'm definitely curious about that. I did not know that. So, I mean, if that expires, then yeah, they're going to be in trouble. Then there might be paying some, uh, uh, capital distributions on, on funds like VTSAX. Uh, Kishmore says suggestions on robo advisors, which one is good? None of them are good. Uh, you don't need a robo advisor, either work with a financial professional, or, uh, if you want a robo advisor, just buy a low cost target date index fund. It does the same thing as a robo advisor. As you get older, it's going to be more conservative. You won't have to worry about it. Uh, that's the route that I would, uh, that I would go for. Uh, David Jones, you're near Nashville too. Oh man. So we got two Nashvilles. Any other Nashvilles out there in the chat, um, uh, hit me up uh, or send me an email after this live stream and we'll see what we can uh, we can make happen down there while I'm in Nashville. Uh, terrorists use cryptocurrencies, technical and organizational barriers and future threats. I don't know what that, I don't know what that is. Uh, Nazila says, thank you, Monkey, for this great session. Thank you. Uh, Nazilla for watching. Yeah, it's I've had a blast. I know I'm approaching the 130. I'm running low on apple juice. We're going to be wrapping it up here shortly, I promise. But thank you guys so much for sticking around. Kevin Malone says, definitely do this again. Time to go to sleep on the East Coast. Thanks, Smokey. Good night to everyone. 
Good night, Kevin, Eric. Good night, guys. Good night to you, Eric. Again, congrats on the big, big day yesterday. I'm so happy for you and um, looking forward to following you and seeing all that future growth. So with that, guys, yeah, we're going to be wrapping it up here. Um, I ran a half an hour more than I should have, but it's been it's been a blast. Uh, thank you guys for coming on board uh, and, and watching me rant. And uh, it was so fun meeting all of you here in the chat, reading your uh, your questions and hopefully giving you guys some sound advice. Um, it's been, it's been a lot. Uh, uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing your uh, QQQ story. I think that was pretty, pretty impressive stuff, but yeah, we've had a, we've had a long enough uh, live stream here. So I think I'll be, I'll be ending it here, but thank you guys again from the bottom of my heart to, to helping me get to 5,000 subscribers to helping me live my dream where I can now, uh, live stream here and, and, and engage with you on a whole nother level that I never would have had time to be able to. So, uh, cheers to all of my followers, all my subscribers. Uh, thank every single one of you so much. And until next time, guys, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.